Um, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking with you today about uh, DevOps and how we've thought about that uh, across Amazon and then what we've made available to uh, developers and development teams utilizing uh, the marketplace, which you may have heard about. Um, just give me an idea of uh, who's been here before and who hasn't. Who, who's, uh, who's first time to reinvent? Uh, okay, wow. All right, awesome. That's great. And how are you finding it so far? Enjoyable? Learning? Good. Good. Okay. Um, just for some context, uh, my name is Barry Russell, and I have responsibility for um, running parts of the business for AWS Marketplace and then a governance service that we call Service Catalog. Service Catalog is a, a private catalog that allows customers to govern and manage application portfolios, particularly those that they migrate over to AWS and modernize uh, within workflows for IT groups and internal users. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, one of the things that we've stressed this year is that in, in talking with customers, we've really learned that there's different points of migration over to AWS. And I'm sure many of you who are migrating over to cloud are experiencing some of the same things. And what we've done is we've ended up mapping out the enterprise migration um, across uh, this graph you see up above. And we kind of determine when we engage with a customer, where are they in their development cycle of modernizing their application portfolio and moving those workloads out of on-premise data centers over to AWS. And you can see up here that we really start in dev test environments. And then a lot of customers begin building new applications because of the breadth of services that we have available. Um, they may move web applications over, um, certainly mobile uh, workloads, uh, mobile applications that their internal users access. Um, and then customers get to a point where they start moving critical application workloads over, things like SAP, backend CRM and HR systems. And then you get to a point where the economics make sense that you're shutting down a data center for any of you that work for companies that are all in. On AWS, you're shutting down a data center or data center footprint, and you're migrating the majority of your application workloads over to AWS. And the reason that we map this out is that there are different tool sets, particularly um, in our DevOps workflow, and also third-party software solutions in the marketplace catalog that make this possible. And you'll hear from Heather in a little bit from NASDAQ on uh, some of the ways that they've thought about DevOps and transforming both the culture and the code pipeline and the way that they publish applications, not only using the tools from AWS that we make available, uh, for example, CodeStar, but also third-party applications from uh, DevOps and migration partners such as AppDynamics. Does this make sense so far? This really helps us understand where a customer is in their thought process and where they are in their technology migration over to AWS. And then we showed this on Tuesday, um, and I want to spend a little bit of time uh, walking through this because I think it's really important for those of you that are in the room and that are either part of or responsible for how you think about um, architecting new applications or refactoring application workloads that are running on-prem that take advantage of both AWS services and third-party software. And so what you'll see at the top is kind of a migration pipeline. 
You'll see AWS Migration Hub, which we uh, talked about in the session earlier, um, application discovery processes. You'll see code pipelines. Um, you'll see a bunch of tools that are available up here that customers take advantage of when they migrate over to AWS. You'll see Service Catalog purposefully put um, in between our catalog of third-party applications marketplace, some development tools. And the reason we've done that is that customers that are migrating to AWS utilize Service Catalog as a landing zone where they deposit the application workloads that have either been lifted and shifted or refactored so that they can govern those, so that they can control identity and access management, so that they can control the launch of a particular stack of technology that's been configured in a way that's blessed not only by the CISO organization, but also the IT group that has developed that stack of application. For example, making sure that a particular hardened Windows OS is attached to third-party applications and that flows down throughout the organization so that when somebody goes to launch that stack of technology and applications, the correct hardened OS is always applied. And so it helps with both uh, compliance and audibility. And then you'll see on the right um, some of the tools that customers use, uh, for example, load balancing across the network, and of course, uh, utility and infrastructure services. Um, and then down uh, on the bottom, you'll see different things like AWS Config and CloudTrail and Systems Manager that enable customers to then manage and operate the workloads with Service Catalog that move over. And this has really become the workflow uh, that we see when customers are migrating application workloads over to AWS. And so we thought um, in 2012, uh, when we launched the marketplace, we wanted to build something for development teams and, and IT shops that gave them easy-to-use access to third-party software that they were commonly using on-prem or new tools from new vendors that were emerging in different deployment models like API and SaaS-based consumption. And so we launched this as a digital catalog where customers can come in, development teams, IT shops, uh, those that are building new services for customers, and find applications that are already architected to securely run on top of AWS in different consumption models. And we talked on Tuesday about the fact that, you know, we're now up to more than 4,200 product listings from over 1,200 ISVs. And these solutions that are both based on AMI's Amazon Machine Images and they're SaaS-based as well, there's also APIs in here that can be accessed and flowed into application workflows. Um, they're all available in different consumption models. In fact, some of them, over 400 of the titles that are in here are actually free. They're either open source products or they're commercial products that are published without a software charge. You know, for example, CentOS. I think the key part to all of this and the thing that we found for development teams is that regardless of who the manufacturer uh, or the developer of the actual third-party product is, we scan this catalog 24 hours a day, every day of the week, throughout the year for any type of vulnerability. And so it really gives development teams the ability to pull from a catalog that has secure applications which are already architected to deploy and run well against resources like EC2 and S3. And then from the procurement side for uh, development teams and, and uh, IT groups within enterprise customers and digital customers and unicorn startups, 
we've created different models of deployment. Um, and in particular, one that uh, we launched with back in 2012 was kind of pay as you go, right? You pay by the hour. Uh, and the reason we did that was that we knew that development teams were going to need to test third-party software for different application workloads running on AWS without making a big financial commitment up front. And so now that we've enabled that to happen for the majority of products that are in the catalog, a development team can go in and pick a product and make a very low-cost test of whether or not that product actually performs against production data running on top of AWS or a production set of code that you've developed and launched on AWS without having to make a big license commitment to the vendor before you know whether or not it works. And then different listing types we have in the catalog, uh, which I think are important, are open source, BYOL, and utility on the machine, the machine image side, and then SaaS for deployment models where the software is managed by the software vendor, um, such as an app dynamics, and served up in a subscription mode. For BYOL, we have images in the catalog um, that are pre-architected from a vendor, for example, such as a NetApp or an F5, that enables a customer to lift and shift their on-prem version of that software and move those licenses without having to buy new software into a pre-architected version. And then utility and metered base and, of course, open source, which I already talked about. And then in terms of pricing options uh, that we enable, um, this has also been important. Um, and it feeds into uh, uh, a lot of the, dev the DevOps work that we see happening. And the reason for this is that it gives flexibility to those IT teams to consume in a way that makes the most sense when they move that application into a production workflow. And so whether it's free trial or hourly or the customer wants to consume uh, and receive a discount for an annual or multi-year commitment, or there's a negotiation that takes place between the software vendor and the customer, we can process all those different types of transaction amounts. And for all of the software that gets deployed from the marketplace catalog, AWS bills for that. We put that onto the customer bill so that the customer doesn't have to manage invoices coming from multiple vendors when they're utilizing so many different third-party tools to build application stacks on top of AWS. And so I wanted to get into DevOps a little bit because it's really what this session is all about. And I am going to tell you a little bit of a story about Amazon and our transition uh, to DevOps and what we did um, as an organization around 2009 that has resulted in our ability to produce the amount of features and services that we're launching, for example, the ones that you heard Andy talk about uh, earlier this morning, the reason we're able to do that was because of the cultural shift and the way that our DevOps teams now operate to produce those features, right, and to write and produce code. So we think about it in three ways. Cultural, practice, what is a DevOps team actually doing when they develop, test, and deploy code, and what are the tools? that they're using, both the ones made available from AWS as well as third parties such as AppDynamics. And so if you go back to our story and you think about Amazon from the period of, let's say, 2001 to 2009, it's pretty monolithic, right? I mean, you had disparate application teams, which we still do today. 
you know, we all, we all run as quickly as we can um, across Amazon and AWS to develop features and services for customers. And so we still have distributed teams. Um, but the way that the application teams developed um, from this period in 2001 to 2009 before we started to make this transition was kind of a very traditional workflow process where code took a long time to produce and get out the door. Now, maybe it was a little faster than your average enterprise, given that they were a digital company, um, but it wasn't fast enough to innovate at the pace that customers were asking us to, and certainly not fast enough to innovate uh, the way that uh, we have to now in cloud, or the way that our customers want us to for, uh, for AWS. And what we moved to was this idea of microservices, and you hear about these famous uh, two pizza teams. You know, two pizza teams is a term that we use internally, and we still use it. We use it across the marketplace and service catalog organizations. And it means a development group that stood up to innovate and create something for a customer that can be fed with, um, you know, two average size pizzas, right? You know, pick your size of pizza, right? But uh, two average size pizzas, so everyone gets a slice or two. Um, and what it means uh, is that we're able to move super, super fast at developing and testing and then deploying production code into AWS that can then get consumed by customers and we can watch and learn and iterate on top of that very, very quickly. And the way that we do that is by using this methodology, right? Source build test production. And this happens in a workflow, a pipeline. And this pipeline has different checkpoints within it. But you can see that the teams that develop within this pipeline all are at different points in these stages. And so we've set up our development teams across these four different points. And so you do have a team that develops the source, the originating code. You have a team that is then building. You have a team that is then testing. As soon as the first build is done from that team, you have, you have another uh, couple folks from that two pizza team that are testing that code as quickly as possible. And as soon as the code is validated, that code is pushed into production. And it's because of this process, this pipeline that's formed that you see AWS able to make the type of announcements that they did today. We wouldn't be able to innovate as quickly as we do without following this process. Now, by setting up this methodology, what it allows us to do is catch errors in code along this pipeline, and when discovered by a test team, push back to a build team, quickly fix, and then back to the test team, which happens rapidly. But I think the key here is that once the test is completed, that code is pushed into production. You'll find that you know, when we talk about launching hundreds and hundreds of new services each year, you know, we're, not, we're not launching these quarterly. These are coming out weekly, if not daily, in some cases. When production code is ready to go, we are pushing that out into our environment. And this is the process that we follow. And so here's some uh, numbers in terms of what it's resulted for Amazon in speed and how this DevOps process has helped us iterate. And without going through all of them, you know, I think I think one of the big ones for me is that it's you know, 60x fewer failures. Once the code gets out into production, you know, they've decreased failure rates by 60 times. It's just massive. 
And because they've decreased failure rates, those teams that would normally have to focus on errors to fix are now off working on new features and innovations that we'll talk about at the next reInvent, right, when we're all here next year. And so lastly, you know, before uh, we share the NASDAQ story with you, we want to talk a little bit about, you know, the code services that are available. And so for dev DevOps teams and IT groups, we really uh, have four components that make up AWS Code Pipeline. Code commit, build, third-party tooling that's available in the marketplace, and code deploy. And so this development chain allows for a DevOps team to be organized in this four-tier model to, to uh, push production code out onto AWS. And that's really what we wanted to get across to, to all of you that you know, decided to join. Thanks for joining the session. Um, we wanted to stress how Amazon thinks about developing and deploying code. And I know many of you in the room have adopted this format. And for those that don't, you know, we'll be available uh, afterward to talk about what these different components mean. From a DevOps perspective, um, you can hit the web page after this. Amazon.com backslash DevOps, and you can learn all about the different use cases that are listed there and the different tooling and training options that are available to understand how to leverage those components um, in your own DevOps process. And so I wanted to uh, uh, introduce um, Heather Abbott from NASDAQ to talk a little bit about what her team does in the DevOps lifecycle and how they made the transition and a little bit more, too, about how they're using third-party offerings. Great. Thanks, Barry. Okay, get this right side up. So uh, I'm going to start with just a very brief overview of, of my own personal journey, and I took kind of a circuitous route to technology, like many people have. But what what really excites me about the job that I do now is infusing product technology, customer-driven innovation uh, into teams and organizations. So. I started out in chemical engineering and then took a turn in 2000, just before the first uh, downturn, um, and, and joined eBay and then PayPal after uh, PayPal was acquired. Uh, and was there for almost 10 years. And then uh, you know, my experience in Silicon Valley anyways is that after you're at a place for seven or eight years, people say, like, what is wrong with you? You know, it's time to do something new. So, so at that point, I joined a startup briefly, but uh, then was convinced by one of my previous uh, mentors and bosses to come to Charles Schwab, uh, where I managed both internal and external applications, and then to NASDAQ. And um, the NASDAQ is an amazing organization. And I do want to orient you to a bit to NASDAQ as well, because especially here in the US, the NASDAQ brand is so closely associated with the US markets. Uh, and with a, a very um, tech-heavy and innovation-heavy listing space. Uh, but we have many other products. And, and so this will get a bit uh, be more relevant as we get into our DevOps journey. But to give you an idea of some of the things we're trying to do, we run about 100 marketplaces worldwide. So about 100 markets that we don't own and operate run NASDAQ's market-powering engines. But they run in a, a very bespoke on-prem and kind of monolithic uh, and what I would call somewhat antiquated model for how today's uh, applications and, and new unicorn startups um, are, are building their applications. And so we have already started to embark on a, a mission to completely modernize that market-powering technology 
um, with the, the objective to turn it into a really flexible platform as a service that you could plug into any two-sided market. And that's really only limited by your uh, imagination. So some of the things we're looking at is like things like StubHub and ticketing, uh, or even we, uh, the, our Hong Kong Jockey Club is one of our um, customers, and, and maybe I'll get in trouble for mentioning anything related to gambling, but any two-sided market should be able to take our uh, platform as a service and take any piece of it they want. They could take the matching, they could take the clearing and settlement, um, and run it on Amazon or on-premise, but any, anywhere they want. And, and so we have to embrace kind of the innovation principles um, and the DevOps principles that Barry was talking about to successfully make that transformation. So that's great, that's a great vision, but what are all of the challenges that we actually have day to day? So NASDAQ has been very acquisitive and has grown primarily through acquisition uh, from the point that our former CEO took over in about 2005. And, the, and so that just results in many disparate platforms that do the same things in different geographies. And, and, and of course, you have very aggressive synergy targets and efficiency targets. But at the moment you buy something, your competitor says, oh, you're not, they're just going to stop innovating and they'll just be migrating customers and you're not going to get anything new out of them. So it, it creates um, immediate challenges from a competitive perspective. And then culturally, becoming customer centric. Uh, and I know everybody talks about being customer centric, but in our business, when it's something like a matching engine that is bringing together orders, it's hard for people to think about a real customer. So it is like perhaps more of a challenge in certain types of industries than others. But it, it is critical that we're thinking of the end customers and what we want to enable in markets. And then of course there's the, the technology aspects. So you know, in order to achieve the, the vision, we have to move to a more modular architecture. We have to move to a more flexible architecture and, and cloud, um, a cl being able to run on, on any cloud is a, is a priority. So, so these pillars in the, that we're driving towards really demanded a, a different type of approach to our APM tooling and, and how we manage applications um, on an ongoing basis. So again, I said the user engagement piece, in the end, we're trying to create truly engaging applications um, and be able to iterate on them quickly. So the, the speed, we would be doing quarterly probably deployments on some of these core technologies at, at best, and, and we want to be able to move to a completely continuous integration, continuous deployment model, but safely. And the fact that infrastructure needs to be agile, we need to be able to deploy anywhere for both our internal, the markets that we own and operate, as well as, as globally um, in a platform as a service manner that I was describing. So how do we do this? We have to understand the user, the user behavior and have a truly DevOps unifying view. And that's where I want to start to bring in AppDynamics to the story. When I first joined NASDAQ, we had a number of disparate tools, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of all of them, I won't use too many names, but you know, we have one console that brings everything in and creates alerts, but then we have, uh, you know, we have a, a logging tool that's, that only really the operations folks see, um, and then we have a bunch of URL monitors that kind of pinpoint things, but are, are pretty disjointed. And so well, you know, those, those are the tools that I was describing, and then the tools may be siloed by layer, or, or they may be siloed by team and that only one team has a view of them. Um, 
and, and we need to explore new tools. So we, we brought in AppDynamics, which had an immediate transformative effect for us. And I want to start with the user engagement piece of it. So I'm kind of starting at the end because the business IQ aspect of AppDynamics is something that's relatively recently added such that you can actually bring in usage analytics type data and then trace that through to actual application performance data end to end. And we find it, it's been sim so simple to, to deploy because it's, it's using, it leverages the business transactions that we already have. So I'm not sure how familiar people are with AppDynamics as, as a platform, but it, one of the fundamental um, aspects of it is this idea of a business transaction. And you can group together transactions in a way that makes sense for, for your business and trace them end to end. So for example, I, one of my platforms is a press distribution platform, and it involves things like uploading documents uh, or uh, sending out distributions. And I can pull together all the APIs that are involved in that transaction and look at it as one end-to-end -end, um, experience. So, and now, in addition to seeing the performance, I can actually tie that to how is it being used, and how is the customer experiencing the use, how is it performing, um, and how is that performing cha performance changing over time. Uh, and, and I want to point out, like, there's many tools that play in this space. Of course, there's, you know, the local analytics or Google Analytics, and even things that are more marketing tools, like the Amazon's Pinpoint. But, and we do use some of these, but this, using the, the business IQ within AppDynamics has allowed us to work seamlessly across making product decisions. And in any time, product decisions through application performance and how do we prioritize the changes that we need to make to continue to improve our applications. And moving on to the, the velocity, just the speed of delivery. So, I want to talk a bit about how we've used AppDynamics throughout the whole life cycle. So we started with just using the platform more in a production um, capacity. Now we had it in our pre-production environments, but nobody was really looking at it. And as we've evolved our performance testing significantly, now all of our QA and our development teams are, are working together, as well as the operations teams in those pre-production environments. And we can effectively do what, of course, everybody wants to do, which is find issues and fix them sooner. And, and it also helps the QA teams as they get to that deployment phase to really be familiar with what end-to-end -end is expected uh, of the application. And, and that's, been, that's been really critical to allow us to go fast um, and, and, again, be more efficient in, in catching issues uh, much sooner. So from an infrastructure perspective, and we want to be able to uh, move workloads quickly to Amazon. And uh, I liked one of the first slides of the journey that, that Barry showed there. I'd say our experience has been, we've been pretty aggressive because when we've made acquisitions, sometimes we've had to get out of transfer service agreements. We've had to lift and shift applications and then modernize them to be uh, more cloud native. Um, so uh, so App, App Dynamics has helped us with things like what is our strategy around reserved instances? And what is our strategy? How do we prioritize the workloads that we move to um, serverless architectures and you know, more inherently elastic uh, supporting architectures that will be cost effective for us? And, and it's just so much more powerful when you can take a business case um, to, to the finance people uh, and, and they immediately 
get it and it's and it's justifiable where in the past it was much it, it, in the past you had to kind of hunt and peck for that data and it was it was a lot harder to to stand behind it so uh, we're also looking towards things like bringing in um, more of the CloudWatch metrics uh, and using some of the additional plugins that, that AppDynamics provides for that. So we by far aren't done our, our journey of, uh, of evolving how we use the platform and we do still have you know, some silos of data that sit within more within the operations view or the development view. But it's, it's a journey that, uh, that we're on and we're making really good progress. So getting to some of the numbers. Now, Barry's numbers were really big. So, uh, and I, I, mine were a little larger, but then I, I brought them down. So maybe I should have made them, made them bigger. But, um, but there's lots of, we've seen real positive results from our, our shift to Amazon and, and working with AppDynamics to help make that faster and more efficient and safer. Uh, so I want to talk just a little bit about these metrics. So our uptime and incidents uh, have reduced over the last four years since, since I've been with NASDAQ about 40%. And a lot of that is catching things earlier um, and just more scalable um, QA and, and performance testing. Uh, and then, of course, finding issues more quickly in production. Um, there's other things that go into that as well as, as far as having robust chains and incident management process, uh, processes that we've, we've worked on. But that's a pretty remarkable number. And that's like a lot less calls in the middle of the night. And then the client net promoter score, I was kind of hesitant to put a number in there, but um, one of our core applications that is used by investor relations professionals in order to understand the investor base and, and, um, and, and analyze and reach out to and target investors that you would like to have invested in your stock, we've seen about a 20% increase. And a big contributing factor there is to be able to go in to AppDynamics, look at a business transaction from end to end and make sure we are working on performance enhancements that are really going to make an impact based on what are the longest running business transactions, where are customers the most frustrated, and, and what is most heavily used in a way that is connected to business outcomes. So yeah, I can't really understate the fact that the way AppDynamics allows us to connect to business outcomes in a very easy way out of the box um, is critical and, and helps us uh, make better decisions uh, and then work better as a cross-functional team. So, and then the last one, the DevOps harmony. So uh, engagement has, has definitely increased across our, our engineering and our product teams. Uh, and I think that y y what I used to see more of is just the finger pointing across teams when we'd have incidents. Like uh, incident management is kind of chaos. It's like going to war and, and uh, all of our great ideas about teaming um, tend to fall apart when something is broken for hours at a time. So having that one view uh, and not having any kind of question of, of where we're seeing issues has been very, you know, very powerful and again something that's invaluable when we're running these workloads across Amazon, in our own data centers, um, and then you know, also working with, with clients um, in, in their data centers. So, so, uh, and then uh, my, my favorite here, and I think one of, it might have been Tushar who took me rather literally, as I said, you notice in our operations center, there's no humans. So if you buy up dynamics, then you will, no, will not require any humans in the knock. So obviously I'm kidding. Um, I'm a little concerned about where all the operators were, were at that one point. Maybe Eric knows. Um, but it, <laughs> it's definitely made us more efficient and 
we use it heavily as a tool, as you can see, to kind of visualize the environment, understand all the complex flows across our applications, and again, relate that to business outcomes and what users are actually um, experiencing. So, so AppDynamics and Amazon have been key, key partners in our, our journey that, uh, that we're really just embarking on for key parts of our, our go-forward strategy, uh, but we're excited about, about the announcements and, and where it's all going. So I think with that, we've got yeah, we've I think we, we wanted to uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. So we did want to take any questions. Would you like to come up, Tushar? We did want to take any questions that you might have, both on the AWS tools uh, that are available, we talked about earlier. Uh, any questions you might have about Marketplace, how that works, how AppDynamic software is available as SaaS uh, in Marketplace. And, of course, any questions about NASDAQ's journey, uh, if anyone had any. Yes, sir. How do you measure uh, engagement on the DevOps Armageddon? We measure it. We do the, uh, like that Gal uh, Gallup survey that's like, that we have um, just tailored towards uh, what is relevant to NASDAQ. So we do twice a year engagement surveys, and then it, it's part of that, you know, we, we gather input that's, you know, relevant to the area that a person is, is working in. Uh, and, and so that's, that's how we measure it at the corporate level. But I'd say at the team level, it's just much more evident, you know, are people, you know, staying late? Are they engaged in what they're doing? Are they, uh, you know, working well and harmoniously as teams? So it's, uh, you know, the, it's evident in, in the attitude and the output as well. And we have other tools we use to look at uh, the over overall productivity of what we're getting out the door. So that, that's another dimension that I associate heavily with that. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay, thanks for joining. We'll give you some time back in your day. Thank you. <laughs>